Hey gang, Ross Brand here for Livestream Universe. This is Livestream Deals. It's the show where you shop the show, where we feature great products and services for online entrepreneurs and content creators, live streamers, podcasters, and all types of business owners. And today we're going to talk about cloud communication with Mike Galkin of Voice Next. Mike, welcome to Livestream Deals. Welcome. Great to be here. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about what cloud communication is and where uh, Voice Next fits into that uh, industry. Sure. We are a small niche player. Um, we do cloud-based communications. We're really a high-touch company. So unlike our competitors who you get a nameless company, you dial a number and you're never sure who's going to answer the phone. You know, we've got a lot of uh, our account reps who will handle problems more effectively. We, uh, we're kind of, like I said, we call ourselves a boutique type phone company. We do a lot of private equity. We do very high profile clients, everybody from Tribeca Film Festival to uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral to call centers for Simply Saline and Act Fluoride and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and, uh, we love what we do. You know, we love helping our customers and, uh, you know, we're the least hated phone company in the Metro New York area. So you know, our, customer, <laughs> our customers actually like us. Imagine that, you know? Wow. That's something you don't hear every day about, uh, phone companies. So I'm talking with Mike today as part of, uh, PodMax, which is, uh, presented by Propelify. And we're talking with different, uh, companies. And I think what's interesting about voice next is that you're, on one hand, you have a small organization. You, you mentioned you're, you're a boutique company. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, you talk to household. You work with household names and big name events. Um, how have you gone about building your business to the point where uh, a, a rather small operation is recognized by high-profile companies? Um, you ever know the, tasters, the, the taste test? Yes. I, I literally yes. go when we're out pitching and I go, here's our customer service number, dial your cell phone and call us. You know, I don't, I don't tell our staff that the call's coming. And I, and I say, who, what competitor would you like me to dial at the same time? And I look up the ring central number or the Verizon number. Um, and you call our main number, you press option two for support. And if somebody doesn't answer 30 seconds, I've not done my job properly. And even if it's three, and I tell people at three o'clock in the morning, call us again, you know, um, they tech us out and, 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 you know, we win big deals because of that. What kind of business is that? I don't have to navigate through a complex series of menus and type in account numbers and then go back and get my ID and credit card and get up, get an upsell first before I get to support, then an upsell after support. Uh, what are you doing serving the customer? That, that, that wasn't supposed to happen in this industry. Right. Shame on us. Imagine, <laughs> I can imagine myself a, a fly on the Comcast wall in, in some organizational media going, you know, uh, some vice senior vice president of something or other comes in and goes, what happened here? Mary Jones actually got through to customer service. What did you do? How did you do this? <laughs> Who's getting fired for this? You know, um, you don't have to be like that. That's not like, there's not, you know, people don't like that. I mean, why would you, if you knew that people didn't like it and you did it anyway, shame on you right. and shame on them for even trying. So we don't do that. Uh, Talk a little bit about how you got started in the in the industry and and your sure. background as a, as an entrepreneur and a business I've person. I've got a pretty decent pedigree, so um, I've actually never had a job. So I've only ever worked for myself. Uh, nice. I started my first business in my freshman dorm room in college, 
Uh, I was at Skidmore College in 1981, graduating high school. And uh, I, uh, my whole business, my whole, everything revolves around the telephone industry. Even back then, even back then, I never knew it, but everything involves being something with phone stuff. So um, back in the 80s, it was very expensive to make phone calls. Remember when you used to have to pay for calls and after 11 o'clock at night, it was cheaper. And there was daytime and nighttime and weekends and nights and weekends and free off whatever. Um, (laughs) One way thing led to another was 31 cents a minute, so for yeah. a long distance. <laughs> and don't stay on too long with them at this hour because right. uh, otherwise you're going to run up their bill and then they're right. not going to be happy with you and they're not going right. to call as often. And <laughs> Well, the phone was in my name and my roommate owed me $300 for a phone bill that he didn't have. Right. Um, so um, I wasn't even a business major. I've only taken two business classes in my entire life. Um, I was a biology major, um, oh. pre-med and pre-dental. Um, you know. um, so my freshman roommate said, let's let me, I'm going to borrow a thousand dollars from my dad to start a business. I'm going to pay you back 300. We'll take, I'll take 300 for me. And with $600, we'll start a business, a storage company for students. Right. Which we did. Um, I kind of told people I made, I got my MBA before I got not a real MBA, but a fit my, my street MBA street my MBA. freshman year of, of college. Um, I guess we made every business mistake you possibly ever make <laughs> because we were too young and immature. We just didn't know any better. Um, back when we were freshmen, we decided we'd pick up at your door. So we'd pick up and deliver stuff. And if you've ever been in dorms, you know, they all have elevators <laughs> and stuff. But being stupid freshmen that we were, we never realized that when people are moving in and out of the dorms, you can't use the elevators because everyone else is. So right. we had to go up and down the stairs. We literally hiked everything up and down the stairs. I got really buff that year with uh, hauling things up and down eight and 10 flights of stairs. Um, um, and we were late and that constantly made us late to everything. So um we were underfunded and undercapitalized. So we didn't, we went around and collected $20 deposits for people who they didn't have. So if you didn't have $20, you couldn't store with us. Right. Um, right. We didn't realize that if you send the bill to the parents, the parents always paid. So we didn't care. We didn't need the $20 deposit. We just needed the parents to pay us at the end of the year. So you made mistakes, but it sounds like it was a great learning experience for everything that you were going to do after that to know kind of what works and what doesn't work and the things that, you wouldn't have learned from a textbook even if you took all the right business courses. So, which I hadn't. So, um, I was I was really green with that. But we didn't make any money the first. We worked basically for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, year two, we tripled sales because we realized we would just send the bills home. <laughs> um, we had poor logistics. The storage place we got was twenty miles from campus. We had a big twenty-four foot truck. Uh, but the biggest thing we did was we changed pick up at your dorm D O R M to pick up at your at your door instead of D O R. We changed door to dorm. So hmm. now instead we pick up, they would, everyone would have to get their stuff to the ground floor. We'd be at that dorm at 10 in the morning and three in the afternoon. We'd pick up everything. We'd store it a mile from campus. And like I said, we tripled business the second year. We made a lot of money. Right, um, right. And you and, saved a ton of time and heartache. But you were, probably weren't as buff after that first year. No, <laughs> we got, not, not that I got lazy because we actually started a second business that year. Uh, I started window washing oh, company wow. on, on Nantucket that year. Uh, so March break went out to Nantucket uh, and lined up a whole summer's worth of work from a bunch of property managers. It was 40. My friends all went to Florida and great exotic places. I went to 41 degree Nantucket and March rains and horrible, you know, nor'easter, but uh, it worked out. I found a place to live for the summer. Uh, Got, like I said, a whole summer's worth of work lined up. Uh, We had a great time watching windows out there. I watched windows for really great people. Uh, I did Peter Benchley. The guy who wrote Jaws is on there. I met him, his mom, his, actually, Peter Benchley's dad was also an author, wrote uh, a bunch of books. I did their house. I did uh, Mr. Rogers, 
I met Mr. Rogers for 10 minutes in my entire life wow. by watching his windows on his house in Nantucket. Um, <laughs> so I had a good time. So part of it is, is always making sure you're having a good time too. So you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur by, by nature, by heart, uh, and, and somebody who's not afraid of hard work. Uh, a lot of people who are probably in a pre-med program might not want to wash windows or move furniture and deal with storage. And you, you really got in there and were doing that. I imagine you never uh, went so far as to take the MCATs or uh, Ross, it gets medical. better than that, actually. Um, it gets better than that. I, I, so junior year, I actually buy a house in college. So we, I, I did wow. very successful. Uh, when I graduate <laughs> from Skidmore College, the college bought the business from me and my partner. Um, so we sold the business to the college for, in 2023, it was probably close to $75,000. Um, That's awesome. Um, and I decided, because my dad is a dentist, um, I took the dental school uh, aptitudes and everything at right. DATs and uh, got into a whole bunch of dental schools. I got into Columbia, NYU, Tufts. Um, I ultimately go to um, a great school, but for the wrong program, I wound up going to Penn Dental. When I should have been at Penn, you know, Wharton, probably, you know, right. Wharton is probably the better, better fit for me. But I'm at Penn. I'm at the wrong school. I go for a year and hate myself for it. And, and just uh, I dropped out of Penn Dental School to go back to Nantucket to go wash windows my, after one year of dental school. Right. Never decided to take a year off after that and never went back. Right. And so you, th- you must have, in order to get into NYU and Penn and all these top schools, you... You must have worked pretty well. Uh, you know, either you were brilliant and it just came easy, or you found time in addition to running a couple of businesses to keep up with your academics as well. I was I was not the greatest. I, I was not a bad student. I was I was a good high you know B student. I A's, mm-hmm. mostly A's and B's, and occasional. I think I had one or two C's the entire four years. You know, um, I I never. Um, don't let my parents hear this. I never wanted to work hard <laughs> enough to make all A's because it was just, you know, they, if you worked 10 hours and you can get A's and B's, it's fine. If you worked 40 hours, I would never want to put the extra 30 hours in to make right, a couple right. extra A's. It wasn't, it wasn't worth my time, I felt, after, you know. So it sounds like a real entrepreneur, the kind of person who would analyze that, you know, making a $90,000 salary for working four hours a week is better right. than making $100,000 a year right. and working, you know, uh, right. 80 hours a week. <laughs> So uh, it was all about having fun. I had a lot of fun in college. So you right, know, it was right. more it was more fun got in the way of, of, of that extra 40 hours. Now, it's gotten fashionable, I guess, in popular culture and amongst some entrepreneurs to say, no matter how qualified you are for college, skip it. Don't do it. You don't need it. If you're an entrepreneur, people only care about what you can do, not what you know that's not related, you don't need college. What, do you, what is your advice to, you know, maybe parents of college-age students or, you know, kids who are debating at the end of high school? Would, would you say it's still worth going to college? Or would you say if you're an entrepreneur in your blood, just get cracking and, and start, start your business now? Why don't you both started when college, you know, but... Uh, that's you know, how you did it, yeah. I mean, but... but um. I think college is really important because it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's part of a growth process that you need to have. You need to 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 grow as a person a little bit more. You need to have a little bit of independence. It's hard to be an entrepreneur without being independent. And if you've only ever lived at home, unless you have some kind of job where you can, you need to have independence. So right. either you're in college, you get a little bit of that independence. You know, even though you're not, you're still dependent, but you you have the the 
facade of independence that you think right. you have. So, you know, it, it gives you a lot more flexibility, a lot more openness. Uh, plus, you know, you, college taught me to learn. You know, I was, I was, I've always been a learner. I've always been, you know, a lifelong learner. And, you know, you've never, I've never said no to anything in my entire life. Well, that's so important. We're talking with Mike Galkin of Voice Next. Okay, you graduate college. You sell your business to the, to the college that you attended. You go to dental school for a year. You drop out. You go back to washing windows. Take us through uh, the next stage till you, get to, uh, till you get to Voice Next. How did it sure. all come about? How did it all develop? So after I go back to washing windows, I stay in Nantucket for the summer. I wind up going to September comes around and I don't want to spend the winter in Nantucket. I go back to New Jersey where I grew up. Right. Um, I'd actually bought, I bought a house in college, which I sold when I graduated. I bought, I was going to spend four years at dental school in Philadelphia. So I actually bought a house in Philadelphia that I owned. It was in the process of selling. So I, I was between places. So not only do I drop out of college, but I moved back in with my parents for the first time in my life, um, having been a homeowner and everything else, right. um, just to put it in their face that I'm washing windows and I left dental school, right? like <laughs> the total mess up that I am, you know? <laughs> and, um, and you've got cash to spare now because you've sold a business and you've sold right. houses and you're doing okay for yourself, not following the traditional route. Um, so about six weeks after I started washing windows in New Jersey, having right. nothing better to do, it's kind of, I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing, but uh, mm-hmm. it was an easy business to get. It's a low, super low overhead business. If you want washing windows and uh, actually take that back. Uh, don't ever wash windows. It's, it's, there's much better things you can do. <laughs> um, after five weeks of washing windows, somebody asked me to pressure wash their house. And um, I quickly realized that the pressure washing hourly rate is three or four times the rate of washing windows. So, um, we instantly go from washing windows to pressure washing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were one of the early people in pressure washing. There weren't too many people doing it. And we found that our niche was between 50 and quarter million dollar jobs where we did a lot of buildings in Hoboken, Jersey City, Brooklyn. Right. When all those buildings were going from apartments to condos and co-ops, um, they needed to make the buildings look nice. So they would put scaffolding up on the buildings. We'd go and we'd acid wash those buildings with, with high, high, high pH acid. And they clean all the all the all the carbon out of the brick, and it would look brand new when we would get done. Right. Um, and we were in on jobs for usually you know anywhere from a week to three weeks, you know, depending on the size of the building and everything this project. Um, and we found a, a great niche doing that. So, did you know how to do that, or did you have to learn how to do that in order to fulfill those um, orders? I I was washing windows. Someone asked me about pressure washing their house because someone was doing it down the block, and I said, "Sure, we pressure wash all the time." You know, I never say no. You know, <laughs> um, I rented a pressure washer, figured it out, um, and ultimately we bought some high pressure steam machines and some other stuff. And um, uh, one of our one of the chemical manufacturers was very helpful. A chemical company called Dietrich Chemicals, and they're still around. They do all kinds of specialty stuff, and uh, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with those guys who walked me through how to do stuff, and, you know, I got a whole professional education on how to be a pressure washer, basically, by 10 or 12 hey, phone calls. probably 50 YouTube videos on it. You could become an oh, expert. No, th- this was in the 80s. This was pre-internet. Yeah. This was all, right. now you could do that. That's this what was I'm saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that wasn't an option at that right. time. Um, so, okay, so you, you, you're now, you've three times uh, the rate that you can charge because yes. you're, you're mm-hmm. doing pressure washing. Where does that lead you? Um, a building becomes available in Edison, New Jersey, um, mm-hmm. and we're cleaning buildings and it had a garage on the front and a garage on the back and you could drive a truck or a car through it. <laughs> um, it looked like a car wash to me. So with no experience and never having waxed a car ever before, 
um, we go into the car detailing business. Um, and I found a place called, called Palm Springs Auto Resort. Um, I've never been to Palm Springs in my life. It was a name we thought was so funny. Uh, <laughs> we got drunk one night, my partner at the time, and uh, that was the only name we could remember in the morning, so it stuck. So Palm Springs in it. the middle of New Jersey. In the middle of New Jersey, right. Send your car to one day vacation was our mantra there. You know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so you're still doing, are you still, you're still doing pressure washing while you're yep. running yep. the car wash as well. Yes, it's so it's the same it's same, the same, same same equipment. So the high pressure stuff you use to clean a building, you can actually clean cars and rims and engines and all that other stuff and steam equipment. Wow, um, I'm learning so much about so many different things <laughs> today. Um, I thought I thought maybe I'd learn something about you know uh, cloud communication. I'm learning we're, about we're, we're getting to that. We're getting to a moving that. company. Right. I'm learning about you know <laughs> power washing. <laughs> Pressure washing, and I'm learning about uh, window washing and car washing, and, and this is fascinating. And and so, where did that take you next? This is some adventure. So it all and it's all related. So it's yeah. all it, it's all related. It goes back to washing windows, basically. So it's a great story. Um, so after we're washing cars, uh, one uh, a doctor, local doctor, comes in and asks me about this thing called a cellular phone. It's 1987. They're close to $3,000. There's no included minutes. It's $40 a month and 60 cents a minute. And that morning, he asked me about it. I called a company called Cellular One Mm -hmm. and become their sixth uh, person to sign up as an agent in New Jersey to sell for them. And and I got into that business right at the very beginning of that business. Uh, They didn't work very well. They were expensive. Um, And I can't tell you how many phones we installed in cars before they were handhelds, before they were small. They were like 30 pounds of equipment in the trunk. Um, <laughs> when we got, when we first got started, right, and, right, that, and and obviously I go into the cellular phone industry from that point, right, right. Um, and were you able to make sales uh, of that big three thousand dollar device and able to install those? I'm always creative with things. So one of the creative, <laughs> the most creative thing we ever did was um, everyone had a promotion where they were going to pay an extra hundred dollars in commission, right, for one person who won a contest. So it was big, a contest for their entire age of base. It was probably 80 or 100 agents at that time. Right. You know, it, was, it was a year or two into it. Uh, they were still pretty expensive. And they had these things called bag phones. Do you remember those bag phones you'd put in your car and plug in the cigarette lighter? Right, right. So um, we decided that we would give a... F- people were still p- spending three or $400 on those to buy them. Um, we decided we would give them away to any law enforcement officer in New Jersey um, if you showed your badge. And the deal was that um, we knew that we needed to win the promotion to do it. So... What we did was we, um, we took all these applications from close to seven or 800 police officers, and we won. We won the promotion. But the deal was that you'd have to not get your first bill and pay your first bill before you got the phone. So it really cost you $40. So instead of spending 400 you paid a $40 phone bill, and we needed the commission to get paid so we could go buy all the phones. Because right. I didn't have the I didn't have the where I didn't have banking to do. I wasn't you know it was all bootstrapped, so we didn't have the money to do the deal. But once we got paid commission, we got all the phones and they all picked it up. And from that point for 15 years later, everybody remembered me as a guy who gave a free car phone away to every cop in the world. So um, it was great. They, I never got a ticket for years after that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so always, always uh, engineering things that could, uh, that could work better and that, you know, thinking differently about uh, the offer, so to speak. And in, in, in what you had as, as a salesperson, your offer from the company and how you could work that in a way that that ended up working, I assume, working pretty well for everybody involved. 
everyone was happy. Everybody won, you know, yeah. every, everyone that got started, got started, won a great amount of new customers. It, uh, you know, it was, it was a win, win, win for everybody. And we won too. So, so where do you go now as cell phones start evolving? Obviously the, the lifespan of that big in car phone, uh, that's long been extinct like the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Sure. Where, where, where do you go as, uh, so, the phones get more mobile and get sure. smaller? <laughs> so, um, I am an entrepreneur at the end of the day. So we also signed another contract with another company called Nationwide Cellular, which was bought by MCI, which was bought by WorldCom. It became WorldCom Wireless. Right. And after 12 years of being in retail, I burned out of retail and got sold the retail store, sold all that, and took that one contract and got involved in wholesaling for WorldCom as a master agent for them. I I called myself a master agent so many times that even they believed we were a master agent. Um, And... (laughs) By me signing that contract in 86, when I signed the original contract, they were obligated to pay me a little bit more money than everybody else. So I took that extra money and went out into the New York market and we signed up about 150 New York uh, mom and pop cellular phone stuffs before they, remember they, before they were, they had all these private shops that right, right now they're right. all corporate, brand, but back then they were all independent. So we signed up every independent we did business with, you name it, we did business with them in New York City. We had about, about eight or 10% of the New York market in, 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 in in cellular phones. Wow. Uh, we so what, did it in what Chicago year we, what and year Boston. What year are we talking now? We're talking the early, uh, mid, late 80, 96, 97, you know, right. Right, um, right. right. Um, late, late 90s. Um, I, I get my life back because I'm working six days in retail. Um, now we're just, it's much more corporate. We're doing, you know, hundreds of, you know, we're doing thousands of applications a month. Right. Um, WorldCom uh, was great um we get so it's involved. largely transferring to inbound business now because these these different mom and pop shops are the ones who are getting the you know pitching to the customer and then they're sending the orders to you is that yeah. kind of how it's worked okay and, and what WorldCom did was they actually web enabled the application process before that we had oh. to type it all in so by web enabling everything we were i cracked their web enablement and uh, i was in e-commerce and one of our e-commerce partners had close to 50,000 applications that they were typing in manually. Um, we cracked the code and he put 48,000 applications in. It took five and a half hours to get them all approved. And the very first day I'm in e-commerce, we sold close to 900 phones of a million dollars. I did a million dollars my first day in e-commerce. Wow. Not even having 900 phones in stock. He was begging me to get this going. So we tried it, we tried it, we cracked it. And literally um, he kept, as soon as it worked, he, he kept pound, pounding really hard. I said, listen, I need five days you can't sell anything. And I, I said, no. And we, I went out and got 20 computers, 20 ta- folding tables. We set up 20 desk stations and we went to a couple of temp agencies and we said, we're hiring 20 people. I, I need send them all for interviews. And we hired a bunch of people. And within about five weeks, we were caught up to the fact that we were, you know, uh, everything you could literally go and sign up for an application at three o'clock and it would go out at five o'clock being shipped that day. So, this is Livestream Deals. I'm Ross Brand. We're talking with Mike Galkin. He's the uh, head of Voice Next, and uh, he's in the cloud com- cloud communication, easy for me to say, industry. Yeah. And <laughs> he has got some backstory as an entrepreneur and now into the cellular phone industry. Uh, where So now as we move into the mid to late 2000s, What's what's happening? Uh, what's on your radar at that time? Well, if you know anything about WorldCom, it doesn't end well. Um, right, and- right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So in I didn't anticipate <laughs> in two thousand. You would have started a new business right. before that, <laughs> right? In, in two thousand in two thousand and one, I I'm number one twenty six. I think five hundred. Right. First Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. I'm a finalist in there. Um, I take the company public mm-hmm. October first, two thousand and one. Twenty days after September eleventh. So now we're a public company. Right. Um, we didn't raise any money. We were, I had never, it's all my money in the company before that. We had no A round or anything like that. I we literally bootstrapped the company to become a public, I'm CEO of a publicly traded company. I still own 65% of all the shares. So it's really my public company at that time. Mm-hmm. We were going to raise a $2 million in a secondary offering because of September 11th, that all fell apart. Right. Um, so now we're a public company with no outside funding. Um, but because September 11th happened, everybody was cell phone. So we went from, 12 million to like $50 million that year. We tripled the business. We, we, we did great. And um, unfortunately, 2002, WorldCom files for bankruptcy with the largest accounting scandal in the world. And I lose every penny I ever make because uh, WorldCom owes me about $4.5 million. We sell 187,000 phones that year. Right. Um, and I'm now broke and destitute and no, don't know what I'm going to do. Wow. Um, a year later, because we don't have a lot of time, um, I go into the... Uh, um, I figure out that I'm going to go into the voice or IP industry in, in 2003, 2004, when it doesn't work very well. And it's not, you know, when it, and I think voice or IP is going to be the next big thing. So I hit it twice. I hit, I hit the cellular phone industry. I hit the VoIP industry at the right time. Um, we founded a company. We knew that we were going to be in the business side of everything because I knew from the cellular phone business that no one was going to have a residential phone. The home phones were going to go away at some point right. because why would you do that if you have a cell phone? And I had a cell phone forever, so I knew that. So right. we went into the business side of everything. We became very boutique-y, um, you know, being better, you know, it, it's, it's really easy to do the service. It's hard to wrap it in good service. So, Right, right. What are the requirements for businesses when they're getting into the voice over IP uh, market? They're looking for a company. Obviously, you separate yourself with customer service. That's your big differentiator compared to the other companies. But what are the general line of services that all you guys offer and that any company that, that, that was heading in that direction would need to know, okay, we're going to need X, Y, and Z in order to make things work for our business. Um, we become experts like, a, you know, now we are experts at it, you know, at first, right. we, you know, but, you know, basically you have to make it so that you'd never want to do, you know, if you ever set yourself up as a business to be like Comcast, where you press seven and press four and press three and press two, you know, you won't get any business. As a, it, it, Comcast has a captive audience and, and you have to have them. But if they didn't have right. that captive audience, they'd be, they'd be bankrupt and they would not be in business. Um, so if you're a real business with real, comp- real, with real competitors, you have to be able to, to be able to co- communicate properly with your constituents to help serve them in whether you're an attorney, whether you're a retail restaurant, whether you're an accounting firm, whether you're whatever your business we will help you communicate with those constituents better and make it so you can never miss a call. Mike, you have a tremendous story and you're great at telling it. You're, you're, you're really awesome on uh, this online medium. Maybe that goes with what you do. Maybe it, it doesn't. Have you done a lot of podcasting or live streaming or uh, online video before or are you relatively new with that? New with that. I, I did, um, do some radio work. Uh, I, I was a co-host right. of, a, of a radio show in New Jersey on WCTC for mm-hmm. about a year with a with another person named Milton Paris. I don't know if you know him, uh, uh, but uh, we would talk. I bring our clients on. We did it as a marketing thing for our customers. You know, I host. I host the show, and I brought my customers on to talk about their businesses. 
for an hour and it was a free infomercial for them, you know, and I paid for it. So, you know, right, right. How has, uh, the current crisis, the current pandemic impacted your business and the businesses of a, a lot of your clients? Um, you know what? Our clients tend to get it. So, uh, you know, we don't, and we're not retail, we're not restaurant heavy. We have a couple restaurants, but, uh, right. um, most of our clients get it. And, um, the fact that they, you know, um, get, technology means that they're, they've got been able to do better through this pandemic. Um, we're essential service of so phones. Phones are right. essential things. So um, most of our clients, I don't think we lost too many clients. Um, and we, we reached out to help as many as we could too. So, you know, if you right. asked us for help or, you know, if you're at, anyone had a problem, we, we were bend over backwards for our clients. And I imagine your service works great. Even if you have a very much of a distributed workforce, you're working entirely remotely uh, it continues to work seamlessly with uh, with the companies that it, that you're uh, servicing. Our customers haven't missed a call. We've been fully operational. We've we've actually transitioned our a lot of our customers from working twenty people in one office to one person in twenty different offices, and it's still the same twenty person phone company, same company. You can see a lot of uh, we do a lot of things called a busy lamp field where you can actually see who's on the phone, even if you're not in the same office. So it's very helpful for you know we've we've helped them leverage technology to the new way to do business. Mike, where can people learn more about Voice Next? Uh, go to our website, www.voicenext.com, um, and um, you know, or give us a call. You know, we'd love to come out and show you how it all works. And you know, uh, you know, we we love being evangelical about how well we do and how we can help you. You know. Well, it sounds great. It, it was a pleasure talking to you, and uh, and really enjoyed hearing your story and learning about cloud communication. Thanks a lot for joining us, Mike. Thanks, Ross. Had a great time. All right. This is Livestream Deals. I'm Ross Brand. We'll talk to you again soon on another episode of Livestream Deals. Take care, everybody.